we thought that what we might do this, this uh, Good Friday service is something we've done before at uh, Christmas, and that is to take uh, a hymn and um, kind of explore the theology of it, unpack it a little bit. There's a, a, a song that we have been learning the last couple months that seems to have had a, a strong anointing on it. It's, it's called The Power of the Cross. And so what we wanted to do is to take each verse and uh, unpack it a little bit and discuss it and just reflect on it. And then we'll sing that, that verse. And there's four verses, so I'll do four little teachings and we'll have four little verses afterwards, uh, adding on the chorus each time. And then at the end of this service, uh, we're going to sing the whole thing together uh, as kind of the, the culmination of uh, this, this, this evening. So it's, it's called The Power of the Cross. The Power of the Cross. And the first verse goes like this. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary. Tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. This first teaching is going to be a little bit longer than the subsequent ones because there's two points I want to make uh, on, on this uh, verse in chorus. Uh, the song says that Christ became sin for us. Think about that. Christ became sin for us. It is the most mysterious and magnificently beautiful revelation in all of Scripture. It comes out of Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In some sense, Christ became our sin. It's, it's incredible. You, you know the depth of uh, a lover's love by the extremity to which they're willing to go for the sake of the beloved. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. And on the cross, we see God going to the greatest extreme imaginable. The all-holy God went to the extreme, not only becoming a human, which is unfathomable enough, but on the cross, he went further. He went to the furthest extreme possible. He went to the extreme of somehow entering into what is antithetical to himself, and that is our sin. There's no further extreme to which God could have gone on our behalf. Think of it this way, the infinite intensity of the love that God is gets revealed by the infinite depths to which he was willing to go on our behalf. The cross reveals that God's love, the love that God is, couldn't possibly be surpassed because there's no extreme that was farther than the one that he went to. I want us to try to get a, a, an appreciation some kind of a handle on the depth of this sacrifice. You can measure pain by how unnatural uh, something is, how, how against nature it is. The more against your nature it is, the more painful it feels. Now, becoming sin sounds bad to us, but it doesn't sound nightmarish. 
Because we sin quite frequently. Sin doesn't feel antithetical to our nature. In fact, it feels all too natural to our nature. But the truth is that nothing could be more against God's nature than sin. For God to in any sense become our sin is absolutely contradictory to his nature. It's, it's, it's like us holding our breath. When I was uh, in ninth grade, uh, some friends and I uh, decided to skip out of school and we hitchhiked our way down to Prescott, Wisconsin and got up on the, the high bridge that crosses the St. Croix River. I have no idea why. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. And so we got down there and we climbed up on top, on the, uh, on top of the bridge and we were involved in some mischievous activity when all of a sudden there was policemen on both sides of the bridge and one of them had a megaphone and was saying, come down from that bridge immediately. Um, the only way of escape was to jump. Uh, now we all had, there's five of us here and we all knew of folks who had jumped and we were kind of down there to dare each other to jump, but none of us actually had yet. Uh, and so this was a tough decision. Three of my friends chickened out and went and got themselves arrested. But Rocky and I decided to take the risk and jump. I could not believe how fast I was traveling when I hit the water. I, I, I had no conception of that. It was, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how low I sunk, how deep I got sunk into the river once I, I hit it. Um, to make matters worse, I hadn't crossed my legs sufficiently, uh, as we were taught to do before you make that jump. Very, 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 very important. Uh, and I had a little space, apparently, between my legs. I was in a world of pain. Uh, to make matters worse, um, the, the water... This was late May, and it wasn't like the kind of spring we've had this year. This was a normal Minnesota spring, and so that water was icy, icy cold. Uh, and the shock to my system and the pain to my body every, made every fiber in my being want to scream and gasp for air. But I couldn't. I was way down deep in the water. And because of the current and other things, it was... I have no idea, but it was probably a minute before I found my way to the surface of the water. Um, it was like nothing I've ever been in before. I have nothing to compare the kind of pain and fear that I was in in that moment. Every ounce of my being wanting to scream, every ounce of my being wanting to breathe, the shock to my system, the pain in my body, the lack of oxygen, I was in a bad place. I finally got to the surface and, and just took a gasp of air like nothing I've ever uh, had before. But see, that's, that's what it's like to be in a situation where uh, you're experiencing things that are contrary to your nature. What Jesus went through on the cross was something like that, but infinitely worse. On Calvary, the one who knew no sin, whose very nature is antithetical to sin, in some mysterious sense, he became sin for us. And so on Calvary, God demonstrates his love by experiencing what is absolutely opposite his nature. On Calvary, God demonstrates his, his endless love for us by experiencing something like what we experience when we can't breathe. On Calvary, God demonstrates his perfect love for us by experiencing the nightmare of all nightmares. Christ bore our sin. The nightmare of all nightmares, and he did it for you and he did it for me. Christ became our sin. And then I want to consider this phrase in this uh, hymn, 
It says he took the blame and he bore the wrath. He took the blame and he bore the wrath. Because Jesus stood in our place as a sinner, he stood in our place as the one who took the blame and the one who, who experienced our judgment. Now, I, I think this concept is, is frequently misunderstood. Um, we, as I say often around here, we, we, we in the West tend to frame everything in a legal paradigm. We do our theology in a Western paradigm. And so a lot of folks, when they hear language like this, they envision an angry judge. And they envision Jesus as our defense attorney who works out, brokers a kind of a deal with the judge. And, 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 and so the judge pours out his wrath on Jesus to let us off the hook. And this Western paradigm, it's led many to think of, of God as, a, as, as a sort of a, a father who's got this wrath that's got to be satisfied. And, and this raging father has got to vent his wrath, and he doesn't really care who takes the hit, but somebody's got to take the hit. And it was either us or Jesus, and Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take it. And so the father's wrath is satisfied by taking it out on Jesus. What almost gets the impression of a dysfunctional rageaholic who's just swinging, just so mad, somebody's got to get beaten up. And so he takes it out on his, his son, and we get let off the hook. I mean, it's no wonder that throughout church history, many folks have, have loved Jesus, but they've had a kind of a fear of the Father, maybe even a terror of the Father. I, I, I believe that this is a complete misunderstanding of the biblical sense in which Jesus bore our punishment. See, in, in that view, in the legal paradigm Western view, Jesus doesn't reveal the love of the Father, he protects us from the wrath of the Father. See, Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. The love that Jesus displays on the cross is the love of God the Father. Jesus reveals the Father's love. He doesn't suppress the Father's wrath. He reveals the Father's love. He doesn't protect us from the Father's rage. There isn't any gulf between the loving Jesus and the, the wrathful Father. No, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so the love of Jesus is one and the same as the love of the Father. What we need to understand is that in the Bible, God's wrath isn't, it isn't uh, this, this hot emotion, almost uncontrollable emotion that wrath often is for human beings. Uh, God's wrath in Scripture is, is simply the destructive consequences that he has ordained that will happen as a result of sin. And so when Jesus stands in our place as a sinner, he takes the blame and bears the wrath of God because he simply he suffers the destructive consequences that we deserved. That's suffering the wrath of God. The father wasn't angry with Jesus when he hung on the cross. But he did, with a grieving heart, abandon Jesus to be crucified by wicked humans and wicked forces of evil. Because that is the consequence of, of sin. It's separation from God. And that was the plan all along to have Jesus experience this. This is why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And see, this separation between the Father and the Son, this is, this is the most horrific aspect of what Jesus experienced on Calvary. For nothing could be more unnatural, nothing could be more antithetical to the nature of the Son of God than to experience separation from the Father. For the eternal Son to experience God-forsakenness God was the nightmare of all nightmares. 
not just for the son, but also for the father. Because nothing could be more antithetical to their loving nature. Nothing could be more antithetical to their loving union than separation. And see, it's for that very reason that this separation reveals the love of God most profoundly. Because it shows the absolute unthinkable extreme to which the Father and the Son are willing to go in order to redeem us. The Father wasn't angry at Jesus as he hung on the cross. His heart was breaking. This is Jesus' heart was breaking. But see, if this was the price that had to be paid to redeem you and me, it's the price that the Father and the Son were willing to pay. And so Jesus took our blame, and Jesus bore the wrath by suffering the horrific, destructive consequences of our sin, by experiencing separation from the Father. Because of that, you and I can be forgiven. Because of that, you and I can be free of all judgment, of all condemnation. Because of that, you and I can be enveloped in the eternal love of God. This, this is the power of the cross. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the second verse, we sing, Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. I want us to reflect on this phrase, see the pain written on your face. Right now, envision, if you can, envision the, the pain on the face of Jesus as he was being crucified. As vividly as you can, and Holy Spirit, help us here, because this pain expresses the depth of the love. Envision the pain, the agony of Jesus on the cross. The physical pain of crucifixion is alone un unthinkable. The Romans had perfected the crucifixion as, as the, the most exquisitely torturous way to execute criminals. And the most brilliant way to install terror in the, in, the, in the hearts of all who would behold it. Jesus was whipped 39 times with a spiked whip. that was designed to rip off the skin and the muscles and the sinew off of his back down to the bone. And then he was made to carry the beam of the cross on the exposed nerves of his shoulders. The pain would have to be unbearable. Spikes were driven through the bone of his wrists 
and spikes were driven through the bones of his ankles. And a crown of thorns was then dug into his skull as they mocked him, king of the Jews. The way criminals died on the cross was usually through suffocation. Because the way of the body, they couldn't breathe. So Jesus was slowly suffocating as he would try to raise his body to get a gasp of air. The way to raise the body, you'd have to pull on the spikes in your, in your wrists so it would increase the weight on the wrists and the pain on the spiked wrist. The physical pain that Jesus endured, just the physical pain alone, is unimaginable. And so envision the pain on the face of Jesus Christ as he's trying to raise himself to get a gasp of air. But see, that, that physical pain as unimaginable as, as it is, was minuscule, minor compared to the spiritual pain that Jesus experienced. For the all-holy Son of God to experience one sin for one nanosecond would be a nightmare, utterly contradictory to his nature. But see, Jesus bore the weight of every sin of every human being throughout history. Jesus bore the weight of every bitter thought and every evil deed. And each sin would pierce his spirit like the thorns were piercing his brow. So on the, on the cross, the all-holy Son of God bore the weight of the sin of Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Idi Amin and every other sick and demented world leader who's ever tortured and killed thousands and millions. And on the cross, the all-holy Son of God bore the weight of the sin of every murderer and every rapist and every child molester and every sex trafficker and every kidnapper. And on the cross, the all-holy Son of God bore the weight of every single sin, including yours and including mine. Whatever sin you've committed... Be assured that it was born by Christ on Calvary. So be assured that it has been forgiven. Your gossip, your malice, maybe it's your slander, your swearing, your self-righteousness, your judgmentalism, all of it was born by the Son of God on Calvary. Be assured it is forgiven. Your greed your gluttony, your apathy towards the poor, your jealousy, your negligence of, of your loved ones in your life, your self-centeredness, all of it has been borne by the Son of God on Calvary. Be assured it is forgiven. Your addiction, addiction to lust, to drugs, to violence, to hatred, maybe your workaholism, your racism, it's all been borne by Christ on the cross. Be assured it is forgiven. Your unjustified divorce, your craving for recognition, your quest for power, maybe your abortion, maybe your abortions, your cruelty, your violence, murder, whatever sins you've ever committed, however inseparably, however damaging they've been, irreparably damaging they've been to others, however unforgivable they may feel, be assured they were born by Christ on the cross. They are forgiven. This, folks, this is the power of the cross. 
daylight flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its, mask, as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life. Finished the victory cry. When Jesus died, two things happened. The earth grew dark for a period of three hours and the curtain was torn in two. The first event is a physical manifestation of the unjust crucifixion of the Son of God. It reveals that at that moment, the world entered its darkest moment. Never had humanity sunk to such a low point and engaged in such a heinous, God-forsaken act. Humankind had put to death their maker, the creator who gave them life. Humankind appeared to have extinguished the one who is the light of the world, and so the sun refused to shine. Yet while the, the death of Jesus was the darkest hour for humankind, it was, in one sense, the brightest hour for God. Because this death revealed the infinite extreme to which God was willing to go to rescue his beloved. It wouldn't be clear for three days when Jesus arose but with the death of Jesus, the love of God was most perfectly, most beautifully, most poignantly, most powerfully put on display. When Jesus Christ died, the powers of darkness were defeated. When Jesus Christ died, the power of sin was forever vanquished. When Jesus Christ died, humanity was in that moment completely reconciled to God. And see, this is what's signified by the curtain being torn in two. The curtain was in the temple, and it separated the, the section that was called the Holy of Holies, where it was believed that God's presence uh, abided most profoundly. It separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world. And so it really was a symbol of the, the wall between the all-holy God and fallen, sinful human beings. And when the Son of God died and the world grew dark, the curtain was torn in two. Just at the moment when humanity had sunk to its lowest hellish level, at the very moment where the world had become, it had entered its darkest hour, at that moment the wall that separated us from God was abolished and the work of the cross was finished. Jesus' last word on the cross, according to John, was, It is finished. Tetelestai. In Greek, tetelestai. 
A more profound and more beautiful word I don't think has ever been spoken. Ketelestai means the wall separating the all-holy God from sinful humanity was gone. Ketelestai means the condemnation and wrath that humanity was under has been forever removed. Ketelestai, it means that humanity's oppression to Satan and the powers of darkness has forever been ended. Ketelestai means all sin and all bondage and all guilt and all shame and all fear have been forever annihilated, at least for those who will receive it. Ketelestai means there's no more wall, there's no more gulf, there's no more alienation. We are, by grace, reconciled to God. Tetelestai, it is finished. It means there's nothing more to be done. It is finished. It means that the righteousness we have in Christ is a righteousness that couldn't be improved on. It couldn't be supplemented. It couldn't be augmented in any way. Tetelestai, it means that all the righteous acts in the world couldn't add one thing to the righteousness that Christ has purchased for us on Calvary. Tetelestai, it means that all legalism has been forever abolished. It means that all religion is forever gone, rendered obsolete. Tetelestai, it means that all judgment and all condemnation are forever disappeared. Tetelestai, it means that the perfect, unfathomable, unsurpassable, magnificent, beautiful love of God has once and for all definitively been revealed. Tetelestai, there's nothing more to be done, nothing more to be done, except to accept this truth and to trust this truth and to be transformed by this truth. This, friends, this is the power of the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its final verse goes like this. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. Reflect on this phrase, to see my name written in the wounds. To see my name written in the wounds. Uh, that Concept comes from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. Yahweh says this to Israel, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may, be, though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, look, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, referring to the walls of Jerusalem, your walls are forever before me. Israel was in a very bad place when the Lord spoke these words. 
They had been forsaking God for quite some time and they'd been pushing God away. And as a result, they were facing the wrath of God. It simply means they were facing the inevitable destructive consequences of pushing God away. And then when you push God away, you've pushed your protection away. And so they were vulnerable to the Assyrian army, that aggressive army that was ready to invade them. And that was their austere punishment. That was the wrath of God. And yet, just as they were about to be judged, Yahweh reveals his love towards them. God's words of judgment are always sandwiched with words of love, words of redemptive love. And so here, the Lord portrays himself as a mother and portrays Israel as her little baby. And Yahweh asks, can a mother forget her little baby? Well, even if she could, there are some human mothers who maybe can do that. Even if she could, I could never forget you. And then in a remarkable, beautiful prophecy, a, a, a typology of, of, of the cross, he says, look, Israel is engraved on the palms of my hand, and the walls of Jerusalem are ever before me. The walls are simply the face of, of, of the city. And so he, he's saying that his, his, his love is such that the name of his beloved has been carved into the flesh of his hands, and the face of his beloved is forever before him. This passage prophetically reveals that on the cross, we see the love of a perfect mother for her baby. And that baby is you. And that baby is me. And that baby is the collective church. And the love of God is so intense, it carves the name of her baby in the flesh of her palms and causes the face of her beloved baby to be forever before her. So in the spiked wounds of Jesus' crucified hands, we've got to see our names engraved there. The bleeding wounds that I envision, they spell out, Greg Boyd, you are my beloved. The wounds on, on the hands, see your name there. Greg Wallen, you are my beloved. Heather Garborg, see the words, you are my beloved. Danae Reiser, Ruth Richmond, Janice Rowling, your name, you are my beloved. I can never forget you. Because see, Jesus didn't die for humanity in general. We sometimes get this so mixed up. As though his love for humanity in general is greater than his love for you. No, it was personal. It was personal. God doesn't have to dilute his love to love all of humanity. No, he loves you as though you were the only human being he had ever made, as though you were the only being he had to love. And so in that sense, in a very real sense, the death on the cross was, 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 was for you. He did it just for you. It's personal. Your name is written on his wounds. And the love displayed on Calvary reveals, reveals that God is forever looking at you with eyes of love, as though you were his only child, with the love of a mother for her only baby. It means there hasn't been one second of your life where God hasn't, with the eyes of a perfect loving mother, been gazing at you. He's gazing at you right now. Can you receive it? He's looking at you right now with eyes of love. And see, it's this selfless love of a perfect mother, this selfless love revealed in the finished work of the cross, it's that love that sets us free. It's that selfless love revealed in the finished uh, finish work of the cross that crushes death to death. 
It's that selfless, perfect, unfathomable, incomprehensible love revealed in the finished work of the, of the cross that crushes to death all condemnation and that crushes to death all judgment and that crushes to death all fear of hell. It's that perfect, unfathomable, incomprehensible, selfless, other-oriented, agape love of a perfect mother revealed in the finished work of the cross that, 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 that crushes to death our sin, praise God, crushes to death our alienation from God, crushes to death all sickness and disease. It's that selfless love of God revealed in the finished work of the cross that crushes to death the, the principalities and the powers and that crushes to death all evil and crushes to death all fear and crushes to death all sickness and cancer and malaria and disease and earthquakes and everything that could possibly separate us from the love of God. This is the power of the cross. And there is no greater, more beautiful, more transforming, more radiant, more magnificent power that could ever be imagined. This is the power of the cross. Because there is no greater, more beautiful, more transforming, more radiant, more magnificent portrait of God than the God that is revealed on Calvary. This, folks, is the power of the cross. To see my name written in the moons, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death, life is mine to live. said come back and in about another 20-25 minutes sing that song again as we close this, this service we're now going to enter into a time of worship and a time of reflection and as we do that we'll be taking communion um, and, and communion is just the sign of the covenant that the Lord gave us to remember to remember what he did to bring about the covenant that we're a part of so as we take the bread remember the broken body of our Lord he said on that last supper, this, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. So as often as you take it and eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he, he lifted up the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. So as often as you take this cup and drink of it, do it in remembrance of me, the blood that was shed. And, uh, and so let's reflect on, on the meaning of this and let it sink in more deeply than, than ever before. And as we sing these songs that are all reflecting on the love that's re revealed on Calvary, envision the one you're singing to and envision in your mind vividly. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you vividly imagine uh, the, the, the things that we're singing about. And uh, with every ounce of our being, let's worship the Lord. Uh, and then as you feel ready at any time, just go and take communion. If you want to stand, feel free to stand. And if you want to stay seated, feel free to sit. If you want to come up and kneel up front here, feel free to come and kneel up front. And, and let's just give the Lord the glory that is due his name.
for the magnificent, outstanding, unfathomably beautiful love as he's revealed to us through the power, the power of the cross. What a love. What a cost. There is no extreme that he could have gone to that would have been farther than what he went to. Nothing he could have suffered that he didn't suffer. No price he could have paid that he didn't pay because he loves you, because he loves me. And there's nothing that we did to merit that. Not a thing. Give him every reason in the world not to do it, which makes it all the more beautiful, the fact that he did do it. Praise God. Good Friday service is supposed to be somber and kind of depressing. And we just gave up trying to pretend like we don't know how this thing turns out. <laughs> it's true. The cross and the resurrection, it's two sides of the same coin. And we just celebrate the whole weekend that way. So that's great. Praise God. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Isn't God beautiful? Isn't he lovely? Isn't he magnificent? He just is. He just is. I'll close in prayer, and I just pray that we leave here taking that love with us. And this whole Easter weekend, uh, just uh, bearing it and manifesting it to our families, our friends, our neighbors, wherever we go. Uh, be transformed by this love. You can't earn it, you can't achieve it, but you can be and we must be transformed by it. Uh, to be mirrors of his love. So Heavenly Fathers, we leave this place, God, we just do it, uh, acknowledging that which is beyond words, that which is beyond our thoughts, that which is beyond our comprehension. And that is, God, your love. All we can do is say yes to it, amen to it. God, thank you for, for, for the, your beauty and for pouring yourself out on Calvary. It's, it's the most magnificent. You're the most magnificent, uh, uh, unf unfathomably beautiful uh, God that we could ever imagine. And so, God, um, just dwell in us, flow through us, radiate through us into our families and our friends, wherever we go. God, may they see and smell the sweet aroma and the beauty of, of Jesus Christ in our life. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and live the Calvary love. Amen. <laughs>